Well, let me just take a moment while the choir is coming down to remind you that uh, last week we started choir practice at 7 o'clock. It will continue on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. So if you're interested in taking part in that, uh, show up Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, we are planning on moving ahead a little bit as far as opening up some things. So the 21st of April, we are planning on transitioning from online Wednesday night to in-person Wednesday night. So wanted to put that in your ear to remind you that uh, we are going to be looking at bringing folks back on Wednesday night for time of prayer. Oh, how that our church and our nation needs prayer. So that will be the focus of our adults, and then uh, for those children that come, uh, we will have a program for them uh, and uh, minister to them as well. If you got your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to open up the, the Word of the Lord to Psalms 100. Now, this is a familiar psalm, no doubt. I have uh, preached from it many times over the years, uh, but was led back there this week because as you may or may not know, over the last several weeks, we have been talking about some spiritual disciplines that are needed in the life of every Christian to help us to be able to, uh, to walk with the Lord, to serve the Lord, and to love the Lord. And uh, we have talked about uh, uh, the need for um, spending time in God's Word. And we've spent some time there and We've talked about the fact that there is a need for worship, and, and we've spent a lot of time there. And uh, we're going to spend one more week there, because I think that it's so important. Over the last several weeks, uh, in talking about worship, we have been able to experience some of that worship of the Lord. Um, if you were here last week and on our Easter Sunday morning, uh, the Lord certainly showed up, and we're glad for that, and we want Him to show up every week. I just wanted to talk to you about the protocol for worship. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that, but there are certain protocols that must be kept in order for us to experience the worship of the Lord week after week after week. And I believe that there's no better place to find the answer to what those protocols are than in Psalms 100. And so we're going to take some time today to look at this psalm and, and see what the Lord lays out for us as to the protocols that we need to take and, and put in place each and every week so that we can worship the Lord when we come and when He shows up. All right, so if you've got your Bibles open, let's stand together as we honor the reading of the Word of the Lord. Psalms 100, if you don't have your Bibles, it's on the screen there for you. It should be on behind me as well. Um, <clears throat> and here's what the word of the Lord says. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and we uh, are uh, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and the truth endureth to all generations. Father, as we bow before you this morning in honor of the word of the Lord, 
We're reminded of the the praise that is given through this psalm and and Lord, the instruction that we are about to look at. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up for us our hearts and our ears and our our minds to hear and to see and to experience the, the, the truth of your word so that we might come into the presence of the Lord where we might worship you and honor you in the way that the psalmist reminds us that we should. So, Father, I pray that you would move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross, that it not be my word, but your word that is proclaimed today. And, Lord, for those that have come this morning with a desire in their heart to worship, I pray that you would begin to prepare their heart, if they have not already prepared so, to meet with you today. And, Heavenly Father, we pray that that you would allow the Holy Spirit to fall upon this place once again and the Lord to show up. And to show us his presence. And Lord, we'll be sure to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, thankfulness certainly is at the heart of a worshiper. When we come to worship, we can't help but thank God for who he is and what he has done for us. So I want this sermon to be a reminder to us of the role that Thanksgiving plays in our encounter with God. But I also want us to see that there are certain protocols that must be kept in order for worship to uh, happen each and every Sunday. We call it worship service. But for many accounts, many people come in unprepared for worship, and they leave without ever experiencing worship. And so that means that we've come to worship, but we've failed to worship, and we left without worshiping the Lord. So what is the point of coming? The point of coming is that so that we can worship the Lord. But the point is that we need to make sure that we are meeting the the protocols in our hearts and in our lives so that when we come, we can have an expectation of meeting the Lord and Him meeting us. I read about a, a man by the name of Raymond Edmond. He was a missionary, but he was also a college president, an educator, an author, and friend to countless Christians and seekers alike. Billy Graham described him this way. He once called him the most unforgettable Christian that he had ever met. Edmund served as the chancellor of Wheaton Christian College for many years. Dr. Edmund shared with his students a personal antidote and involved meeting with the king of Ethiopia some years earlier. And this is what he said. In order to have an audience with the king, he had to observe strict protocols And if he didn't meet and follow through on each one of the protocols, he was considered or judged unworthy to meet with the king and to be in his presence. Dr. Edmund then drew a parallel with attending weekday chapel services at Wheaton College. And he said to his students, you have an audience with the king of kings The ruler of Ethiopia and any other nation would simply fall on their face and cast their crowns in the presence of meeting the Almighty. Psalms 100 tells us how that this can take place in our life. 
This psalm is a literary masterpiece. It has been said that the Bible is shallow enough that the immature Christian can play without drowning, but it is deep enough that the most mature of believers can never touch the bottom. Such is the Psalm 100. This psalm does not contain a single concept that is not expressed everywhere else in the, in the psalms. When studying Psalms 100, we get the impression that it is inappropriate for you and I to barge into God's presence, His holy presence, without taking proper actions and necessary steps to make sure that we are worthy to be in the presence of the King. God is willing to meet us anywhere, any place, any time. Yes, God can meet us at home watching worship online. God can meet us out in the parking lot. God can meet us in the, on the mountaintop. But God can also meet us here as we worship Him together. God meets us where our hearts and minds are prepared where our body and soul acknowledge that we are in the presence of the King. Isn't it interesting that we're willing to wait hours in a line, standing, waiting to catch a single glimpse of some earthly monarch or celebrity? Yet we think of nothing uh, but running into the presence of the Lord. And what I mean by that is we think nothing of just coming on Sunday morning um, from home unprepared and just show up and expect God to accept us the way we are. Time that we recognize that we are worshiping a holy God. This is holy ground in which we have come to. Like Moses, when he went to see the burning bush... God reminded him, Moses, take off your shoes for you're walking on holy ground. We need to remember that every time that we come into the presence of the Lord, it matters not where we are. When we come close to the Lord, we're walking on holy ground. And we should not enter in unprepared. If you've been reading the reading plan that uh, uh, we gave to you, and you, you've been reading through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, and if your brain's not blown up yet, all right, you're going to kind of remember and, 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 and realize that there's been some evidence that, that God wanted these people, the Jews, to understand and wants us to understand that He is holy and you don't just come into His presence. But you must prepare. And he told them how that they're to prepare themselves to come into his presence. God has not changed, my friends, even though church has changed. God is still holy. He is still almighty. And he still expects us to come prepared in our hearts and our souls and our minds before we enter this place. So... I want you to see from this Psalms 100, the spiritual protocol that must be followed for whomever wants to enter into the presence of the king. Psalms 100 shows us the pathway into God's presence as if it were a possession as into visiting a dignitary or the protocol of visiting a king. In Psalms 100, in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist reminds us, let it be known that you are in the house. 
Now, I, I really pondered this concept this week, praying over it, because I, I really believe that, that the psalmist is reminding us that we need to recognize that God needs to know that we showed up. God needs to hear that we showed up. And what does Psalms 100 and verses 1 and 2 remind us? Make some noise before the Lord. You see, it says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lands. You see, the Bible tells us that, that in Psalms 100, which actually, if you just flip back a couple of Psalms to Psalms 98, verse 4, you find out that this is simply a repeat of what Psalms 98, verse 4 has already said. Make some noise when you come into the presence of the Lord. But what is the psalmist trying to say? The original word signals a glad shout or to give a blast... As a, as a trumpet or to make a noise as such loyal subjects would have done when their king appeared unto them. Now let me just bring you back a couple of weeks just to remind you that it was what we call Palm Sunday. It was the coronation day, if you would, of Jesus who entered into Jerusalem. And when he rode in on that donkey, do you remember what we talked about? How the people made so much noise because Jesus was coming on the scene that the religious leader said, Will you please keep them quiet? You see, the reality was... The very answer to what the psalmist is saying, when Jesus shows up, it's time for his people to make some noise. It's time for us to, to recognize that we are excited that the King of kings and Lord of lords has chosen to come meet with us. The Bible tells us that, that we should make some noise. But what kind of noise? See, since we don't see royalty very often, and many of us don't even see many celebrities other than Leroy and Bubba, you know, um, you know, we really don't know how to behave when it comes to royalty and celebrity. So maybe we're, we're just saying, well, I, I just don't know how. The phrase that is used in the original, shout for joy, includes a shout of a trumpet or, or triumph or a battle cry. When we come to worship, the agenda is to simply meet with God. And God's agenda, as I've said for the last several weeks, is for Him to meet with us. So we're to raise our voice to get His attention. Now this is not being rude or disrespectful. And Now hear me, folks, because I see this Sunday after Sunday. Far too many people come into the sanctuary... And never utter a word. Now hear me. They don't speak to the Lord. They don't sing. They don't raise their voice. Because they say, well, I can't sing. Neither can I, but I do it anyways. You see, the reality is that we need to understand that if we want to meet with the Lord, we've got to let Him know that we've come to meet with Him we got to let him know when we get here, Lord, I've showed up to meet with you. Are you here to meet with me? Too many Christians are coming into the worship experience, never speaking a word, never uttering a sound, so that it was as if God didn't even know they were here. They leave and wonder, why didn't God know I was here? Because you haven't made a noise. Because you haven't lifted your voice before the Lord.
The psalmist reminds us that we need to lift our voice before the Lord. Whether you sing good or pretty or not, doesn't matter. You're not singing to the neighbor next to you. You're singing to the Lord. And he says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. He says, come with singing and thanksgiving upon your heart. As we walk down the path to worship God, we simply cannot be quiet. We are not raising our voices to draw attention to ourselves. We're simply shouting of joy because we say, Lord, I've come to worship and I'm making sure that you know that I'm here so that you can come worship with me. Psalmist reminds us not only are we to shout, not only are we to make a noise, recognize that that we want God to know that we've come to meet with him. He says we were to render some honor before the Lord. Look at the beginning of verse 2. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. Now in scripture, the word serve is used to denote both the overall way of life, the broader way of life, such as living a life of service for him, just like... Uh, Josh was talking about the service that our teenagers were doing this week and how they were serving the Lord throughout their life, just like you do as well, as you're going day by day serving the Lord in and through your life, doing for Him as He has led you. But there is also another way in which this word is looked at. It's looked at as a narrow personal use of the term. The psalmist here speaks of a specific and personal activity of praising God verbally. We glorify God by ascribing to Him the honor and adoration due to Him because He is God. What is worship in this specific sense of praise and adoration? Well, the Puritan Stephen uh, Charnock called it Nothing else but rendering to God the honor that is due Him. Modern day John MacArthur defined it as this, honor and adoration directed to God. My favorite, however, is what A.W. Tozer said when he gave a more expanded meaning of this idea. He said that God wants to cultivate within us an adoration and admiration of which He is worthy. He wants us to be astonished in inconceivable elevation of the magnitude and splendor of the Almighty God. When we see God at this level and we render to Him the honor that is due Him, we will be in the presence of the Lord. And then thirdly, the uh, Psalms 100 verse 2 reminds us that we're to sing songs of praise before the Lord. You see, the shout of of praise, the the recognition that, Lord, I've come, I'm, I'm, I'm here so that I can praise you and thank you and then I honor you because you're God and I'm on holy ground, leads to the next level of where we are. Come before his presence with with singing. Our shouts will turn into songs. Music is a form through which we often express our, our gladness, our joy, and our praise. I heard this week that, did you know that music is as addictive as drugs are to our bodies? That our minds become addicted to music? I was, I was amazed. I sat there and listened to the, them, them talk about it and I'm going, wow, but it makes sense. When we spend time in music and, 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 
and songs, uh, those melodies and those words begin to draw us in and we want more. Just as it is addictive to us in a good way, our songs are not to create our gladness, but to express it. Through our singing, we approach God. And one of the protocols of being in the presence of the King of Kings is, a, is, is simply singing unto the Lord. Which, by the way, is a fit uh, exercise for us to get ready to go to be with the Lord in heaven. Listen, folks, you may not sing here, but you better get ready because you're going to sing over there. Okay? Every one of us is going to sing when we get there. So why not start now? Let the Lord get used to hearing your voice. Amen? All right? Did you know that there are uh, some 575 references to praise, singing, and music found in the Bible? At, every, at the very center of that is the volume of 150 psalms, which were songs sung by the early believers. From the beginning, music has been an essential link between God and His children. Throughout history, music has played an important and essential part of the worship to God. As a matter of fact, did you know that most churches devote at least one half or about a half of their hour or whatever of their worship to music? However, far too many Christians see worship as a vital or, or a, I mean, as a ritual or something that we do on Sunday mornings with choirs or guitars and music. When in reality, worship is about knowing God and responding to Him personally, making a personal acknowledgement of who He is. <clears throat> and for the record, worship is not about us, it's about God, it's about Him. That's one of the reasons why I find it so sad so often when people get all up in arms and upset about music worship styles or music selection. It doesn't matter, folks, whether uh, you worship God with a pipe organ or a kazoo because it's about God and not about you. Now, let me share a couple of letters regarding music style and selection. The first one says, I'm no music scholar, but I feel I know appropriate church music when I hear it. Last Sunday's new hymn, if you can call it that, sounded like the uh, sentimental love ballads of one of those expected to hear sung in a saloon. If you insist on exposing us to this rubbish, in God's house, don't be surprised if many of the faithful look for a new place to worship. The hymns that we grew up with are all that we need. Second letter, and here's what it says. What is wrong with the inspiring hymns with which we grew up with? When I go to church, it is to worship God. And not to be directed and distracted with learning a new hymn. Last Sunday was particularly unnerving. The tune was so unsingable and the new harmonies 
were quite distorting. Now, Ron, don't take this personal, my friend. These letters were not written to you. As a matter of fact, let me explain to you when these letters were written. The first letter was written in 1863 about the hymn that we sing today, Just As I Am. The second letter that was written that I read was written in 1890 about that famous hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Hmm. More things change, the more they stay the same. We still think that the old songs are the only songs that we ought to sing and we should never change anything that we do. And if we do, I have a right to complain about it. The reality is that we need to sing praises from our heart to the Lord. The danger I fear that is in so many churches, so many individuals, because they believe that worshiping God is all about the music. Too many people are worshiping the music instead of worshiping the God of the music. Music simply is a vehicle that stirs our emotions and expresses our hearts, but music is not worship, my friends. It is certainly a part of the protocol in which God uses to prepare our hearts to come into the presence of the Lord. It sets the stage for you and I to encounter God. Music is a sacrifice of praise, not a synonym for worship. Again, John MacArthur said this, and I agree with what he says about music. Music and, and, and literary can assist in expressing a worshiping heart. But they cannot make a non-worshipping heart into a worshipping one. The danger is that they can give a non-worshipping heart the sense of having worshipped. So the critical factor in worship in the church is not the form of worship, but it is the state of the heart of the saint. If our corporate worship isn't expressive on an individual worshipping basis, it is unacceptable. If you think you can live any way that you want to and then come in on Sunday morning and turn on the worship of a saint, you're wrong. There has to be certain protocols followed. The way that we live our life. If you want to prepare for worship next week, you begin today. Preparing your heart. We're to come to let the Lord know that we've come to worship the second thing that the psalmist reminds us of is that we're to let, the, uh, let it be known that God is in the house. Not only are we to let it known that we're in the house, but we're to let it be known that God is in the house. That we have entered in and He is already here. He has come as we have come. And the psalmist reminds us in verses 3 and 4, first of all, that we're to, uh, opening our minds to God is the way that we do that. Know ye the Lord, He is God. We must know who the Lord is in order for us to be prepared to worship Him. Here we pause. Like a subject that curtsies a king before approaching the throne, or a soldier that stands to salute a five-star general, 
We recognize that we are entering into the presence of the King of Kings. Here we acknowledge that Jesus is our Savior and we submit to Him as Lord. We remind ourselves as to whom God is. At the same time, we're reminded as to who we are as well. He is the creator, and we are the creation. He is the shepherd, and we are his sheep. He is the supreme commander, and we are simply the people who are following him. We are completely dependent upon him for everything. In other words, he is God and we are not. How do we understand that? In the World Christian Magazine, uh, there's an article by John Huffman as he describes one of the unforgettable moments with his daughter. And he writes this story, and it, it, it caught my attention. He had been away from home for several weeks on an overseas mission trip. And when the airplane landed, he could hardly wait to get out to see his wife and his four children. But he and the other passengers were detained by the customs for two hours. Finally, the customs official allowed Huffman to proceed to the lobby where hundreds of people were anxiously waiting for their family and friends. Huffman writes, There was such a press of bodies, I knew I would not be able to pick out my children until I walked up the ramp past security and, and got out into the open. But he said, my three-year-old daughter, who had managed to squeeze her way through the, to the front of the crowd, began screaming at the top of her lungs, Daddy, Daddy, that's my daddy! She must have shouted for at least five minutes, he said. When suddenly she broke free from the crowd and bolted past the security guards, still yelling, Daddy, Daddy, that's my daddy. She literally flew into my arms and began kissing and hugging me. What a welcome I received. I've never felt so loved and acknowledged in my life. It was a wonderful, fulfilling moment. Even today, it brings warm memories. Great story. But he goes on to tie it together by saying this. Then says John Huffman, that is what God feels like when we acknowledge him. Acknowledging God is an intellectual side of our worship protocol. It's mentally acknowledging that God is the God of the universe, that He is almighty, that He is holy, that He is high and lifted up. Our worship is to have a firm foundation based upon the fact that we understand that He is our Creator. My friends, when we know who God is, it is the precursor to all of our praise. No matter what we're going through, no matter how many struggles and hardships that we're walking through, when we know who He is, we know He is worthy of our praise. We're not only to open our minds, but we're to open our hearts to God. Psalmist reminds us in verse 4, Enter into the gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Drawing an analogy from the temple of God, the psalmist informs us of how we too can open our hearts into the presence of God. You know, the gates were a part of the outer wall that surrounded the temple grounds. 
And one entered the temple complex through each of these gates. As we enter God's presence, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. Here we thank God for what he has done in and through our lives. Once through the gates, the worshiper enters what is called the court of praise. Here we worship God for who he is. One gets a sense of the movement from the outside to the inside, moving closer to the presence of God. If you've ever studied the temple, if you've ever seen an outline of the temple, you, you know that it was set up in such that every worshiper come had to be prepared before they entered in. And each time that I've sat at the Herod's temple at the foot of the stairs, I was reminded of the fact that God takes it serious to the point that in designing the temple, he did something that we would say that doesn't meet code today. Every one of our stairs has to be a certain code. It has so many inches off the ground, so many inches wide to the next step. When you're standing at the, the foot of the temple mount, at the, at the very base of the, the Herod's temple outside the gates, and you look at the stairs, God intendedly created those stairs ununiformed. There are small, narrow ones. There are high, wide ones. Why? So that every worshiper entering the gates had to look down, recognizing that they could not look up, for they were entering a holy place. God designed it such that you and I could walk up a stairs and walk down the stairs without ever looking, because we're so used of, of the exact measurements of our stairs. How many of us have, have been at somewhere where they're not exact and tripped on our way up the stairs? Okay? But in there... Every worshiper would have to look down to know if it was a narrow high step or a wide step so that they might have to take two steps before they went to the next one. So that as you entered the gate, you were already in a mode of recognition of who he was and who I am. And so it is that the psalmist reminds us that when we come to the temple gate... We want God to open our hearts. It's a matter of not looking around at who's here. But looking down and saying, God, I'm here. I've come to worship you. and I must watch my step. As I enter into the holy of holies. Into that place of presence. Into that time of worship. As we enter God's presence, we enter the gates with thanksgiving. Here we are thanking God for his presence. However, praise is not worship. It is simply the stage to worship. Praise anticipates what is coming as we enter into the presence of God. Praise precedes our worship. Praise is the way in which we worship, and worship is the way that we encounter with a living God. David Edwards, in his book on worship, his book named called Worship 365, 
writes, When we praise God, we are ringing the doorbell, making our presence known, letting Him know that we have come to see Him. When He hears our praise, He gets, we, he gets up to open the door and invites us to come into His presence. When we go inside, we move from praise to worship. In other words, praise is simply the vehicle into God's presence. Worship is what we do once we get in to God's presence. While my friends, God is omnipresent, He is everywhere. God's revealed presence only occurs when we are in worship with Him. God has chosen to manifest Himself in the praise of His people. David, the psalmist, wrote this of God, but you are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. God is enthroned in our praises. Thus, our praise creates an atmosphere for us to, to be in the audience of a king. We come before God with thanksgiving and praise on our lips and in our hearts. And once God knows that we're in the house, and once we know that He is in the house, the third thing that I want you to see the psalmist reminds us is, let it be known that we meet the Lord in his house. It is the very purpose in which we have come to meet with the Lord. He has come to meet with us, so we should come to meet with him. In verse 5, he says, What do we know about the name, the person, the character, or the nature of God? Oh, the psalmist gives us much that we are to be reminded of. He reminds us that the Lord is good, that he is gracious and kind, his love or his mercy is eternal. God has bound us to himself as a covenant or contract that will never be revoked or abandoned. His faithfulness endureth through all generations, he says. God is not fickle, nor does he forget. He does not change his purpose or break his word. We too must understand what we learn about God. We must know the names of God. We must begin to grasp, as feeble as our minds and hearts are, the greatness, the holiness, the wisdom, the goodness, the loving kindness, and the truthfulness of every name of God. The essence of worship is to be blessed. To bless and to fall down and to ascribe glory to, to God. Heartfelt worship is to be gripped depths of our beings and the goodness and love and faithfulness of our Creator. We recognize that we have come to meet. The presence of God is revealed. We understand who He is. At this point, we are truly in a spirit of worship. Listen, my friends, worship is not the shout in which we do at the beginning. Worship is not the singing in which we do once we have done shouting. Worship is not the thanksgiving that we give to God for who He is. Worship is when we have an encounter with the living God. Worship is when we realize that He is here with us. That we can walk away and say that we have all been glad to be in the house of the Lord for we have met with Him. And we tell all that we meet, 
It has been good to be in the house of the Lord today, for I have met Him and worshiped today. So let me just draw us to a conclusion. Worship is all about an audience with the King. Let us not forget that we must follow the certain protocols of our lives of the Word of God to be able to be in the presence of a holy God. When you and I come to worship, we come to meet the King of the universe. Like an earthly king, there are certain protocols that must be followed in order for us to be in His presence. So it is. What a privilege we have been afforded as followers of Christ to have an audience with the King. Let us not take for granted and miss the opportunity when we gather together to worship the King of Kings in Jesus. Let us do what is needed this morning. Let us follow the protocols to meet with Him. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. What I would like is for you and I to realize that we can't wait until the end of the service to get ready to worship. We must come prepared, ready to worship. It should not be a matter of what the music says to us. It should not be a matter of what the message says to us. It should be a matter of the fact that we have come to meet with Him and He has come to meet with us. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I want you just to take a moment to just acknowledge to God that you have come this morning to meet with Him. You have not experienced him yet this morning. Would you just ask him to meet with you before you leave today? To show you what you need to do to prepare yourself for the act of worship? So that each Sunday following this, you won't have a reason not to experience You'll have everything that you need to follow every protocol needed to be accepted into the presence of God Himself. Lord, hear us, O Lord, I pray. Stir our hearts, O God. If there is one here this morning who does not know you, pray that, Father, that they would know you. Pray that they would come to know you. There is one here this morning that has not met with you. Pray that, Father, that they would break through that which is holding them back and ask God to fulfill the protocols in their life so that they can enter into your presence. Lord, we need you. Oh, how we need you, oh God. We are broken. We are sinful. 
And Lord, we are in need of You in Your presence. So God, I pray we wouldn't just come to this place and call it worship, but we would come to the place of worship and let the world know that we have met with you. Oh, Father, set free your people to meet with you. Let us experience you fresh and new. And let us go out rejoicing and praising the Lord. Lord God, hear us now as we praise you.